Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about gastroesophageal reflux disease. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerotofinals.com slash g-o-r-d or in the gastroenterology section of the Zero to Finals medicine book. So let's get straight into it. Gastroesophageal reflux disease, abbreviated to GORD or G-O-R-D, is where acid from the stomach flows back through the lower esophageal sphincter at the bottom of the esophagus and into the esophagus where it irritates the lining and causes symptoms. The acid can also reflux up into the back of the throat. The esophagus has a squamous epithelial lining that isn't protected against the effects of stomach acid. The stomach has a columnar epithelial lining that's more protected against stomach acid. Therefore, the stomach copes well with acid, but the esophagus doesn't. Let's talk about the causes and triggers. Certain factors can exacerbate or worsen the symptoms of gastroesophageal reflux disease including greasy and spicy foods, coffee and tea, alcohol, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, stress, smoking, obesity and hiatus hernias. So how does it present? Dyspepsia is a non-specific term that's used to describe indigestion. It covers the symptoms of gastroesophageal reflux disease including heartburn, acid regurgitation, retrosternal or epigastric pain, bloating, a nocturnal cough, meaning when the patient's lying flat at night time, they develop a cough, and hoarse voice due to acid refluxing to the vocal cords. Let's go through the red flags. Patients with symptoms that are suspicious of cancer will get a two-week wait referral for further investigation. It's possible to refer from primary care for an urgent direct access endoscopy, putting a camera down to look into the stomach. The NICE guidelines on suspected cancer from 2021 have criteria for when to refer urgently or routinely. The key red flag features relating to reflux are dysphagia, which is difficulty swallowing or a sensation that food is getting stuck on the way down, and dysphagia at any age warrants an immediate two-week weight referral. Patients aged over 55, and this age is generally the cutoff for urgent versus routine referrals. Weight loss, upper abdominal pain, reflux, treatment-resistant dyspepsia, so dyspepsia that doesn't respond to treatment, nausea and vomiting, upper abdominal mass on palpation, a low hemoglobin or anemia, and a raised platelet count on the blood tests. A Tom tip for you, remember dysphagia as a critical red flag. Any patient presenting with a feeling that food is getting stuck on the way down needs an urgent two-week wait referral for an endoscopy. This is specifically to look for esophageal cancer, where there may be a tumour that's blocking the esophagus, stopping food from getting from the mouth down to the stomach. Let's talk in more detail about endoscopy. An esophago-gastroduodenoscopy, or OGD, 
involves inserting a camera through the mouth down to the esophagus, stomach and duodenum. This can be used to assess for gastritis or inflammation in the stomach, peptic ulcers, upper gastrointestinal bleeding, esophageal varices in patients with liver cirrhosis, Barrett's esophagus, which we're going to talk about later on, esophageal strictures or narrowing of the esophagus, and malignancy or cancer of the esophagus or stomach. Patients with evidence of upper gastrointestinal bleeding, for example, melina or coffee ground vomiting, need admission and urgent endoscopy. Next, let's talk about hiatus hernias. A hiatus hernia refers to the herniation of the stomach up through the diaphragm. The diaphragm opening should be at the lower esophageal sphincter level and fixed in place. A narrow opening helps to maintain the sphincter and stops acid and stomach content from refluxing into the esophagus. When the opening of the diaphragm is wider, the stomach can enter through the diaphragm up into the chest and the contents of the stomach can reflux into the esophagus. There are four types of hiatus hernia. Type 1 is sliding, type 2 is rolling, type 3 is a combination of sliding and rolling and type 4 is when there's a large opening in the diaphragm with additional abdominal organs entering the thorax. A sliding hiatus hernia is when the stomach slides up through the diaphragm with the gastroesophageal junction passing up into the thorax. A rolling hiatus hernia is where a separate portion of the stomach, meaning the fundus of the stomach, folds around and enters through the diaphragm opening alongside the esophagus. Type 4 hiatus hernia refers to a large hernia that allows other intra-abdominal organs to pass through the diaphragm opening, for example the bowel, pancreas or the omentum. Hiatus hernias can be intermittent, meaning they may not be seen on investigations. They may be seen on a chest x-ray, CT scan, endoscopy or a barium swallow test. Let's talk about the management of gastroesophageal reflux disease and this can be split into lifestyle changes, reviewing medications, for example stopping non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, antacids, for example Gaviscon, Pepto-Bismol and Reni and these should only be used short term, proton pump inhibitors, for example Omeprazole and Lanzoprazole, Histamine H2 receptor antagonists, for example, famotidine, and surgery. Lifestyle changes include reducing tea, coffee, and alcohol, weight loss, avoiding smoking, having smaller, lighter meals, avoiding heavy meals before bedtime, and staying upright after meals rather than lying flat. Surgery for reflux is called laparoscopic fundoplication and this involves tying the fundus of the stomach around the lower esophagus to narrow the lower esophageal sphincter. Next let's talk about Helicobacter pylori. 
H. pylori is a gram-negative aerobic bacteria that lives in the stomach. It causes damage to the epithelial lining of the stomach, resulting in gastritis or inflammation of the lining, ulcers and an increased risk of stomach cancer. H. pylori avoids the acidic environment by forcing its way into the gastric mucosa using flagella, which are like tails, to propel itself forward. It creates gaps in the mucosa, which exposes the epithelial cells underneath to damage from the stomach acid. H. pylori produces ammonium hydroxide, which neutralizes the acid surrounding the bacteria. It also produces several toxins. The ammonia and the toxins lead to gastric mucosal damage. We offer a test for H. pylori to anyone who has symptoms of dyspepsia. They need two weeks without using a proton pump inhibitor before testing for H. pylori for an accurate result. If they're using a PPI or a proton pump inhibitor, this can lead to false negative results. There are several investigations you can use to diagnose H. pylori, and these are a stool antigen test, which may be the easiest option, a urea breath test using radio-labeled carbon-13, a H. pylori antibody test on the bloods, or a rapid urease test performed during an endoscopy, which is also known as a CLO test. The rapid urease test involves taking a small biopsy of the stomach mucosa. This is added to a liquid medium that contains urea. H. pylori produce urease enzymes that convert urea to ammonia. Ammonia makes the solution more alkaline and a pH indicator, for example phenol red, changes colour if the pH rises, giving a positive result. So basically the H. pylori produces ammonia, this causes the pH to rise and the pH indicator changes colour. In order to treat H. pylori, we use an eradication regime and this involves triple therapy with a proton pump inhibitor, for example omeprazole, plus two antibiotics, for example amoxicillin and clarithromycin, all taken together for a total of seven days. Routine retesting for H. pylori is not necessary after treatment. Next let's talk about Barrett's esophagus. Barrett's esophagus refers to when the lower esophageal epithelium changes from squamous to columnar epithelium. This process of changing from squamous to columnar epithelium is called metaplasia. Barrett's esophagus is caused by chronic acid reflux into the esophagus. Patients may actually notice an improvement in reflux symptoms after they develop Barrett's esophagus. Barrett's esophagus is a pre-malignant condition and a significant risk factor for developing esophageal adenocarcinoma, which is cancer of epithelial cells. There can be a stepwise progression from no dysplasia to low-grade dysplasia, high-grade dysplasia, and then adenocarcinoma. 
Treatment of Barrett's esophagus is with endoscopic monitoring for progression to adenocarcinoma or cancer, proton pump inhibitors, and endoscopic ablation, for example, radiofrequency ablation. Ablation can be used to destroy abnormal columnar epithelial cells, which are then replaced with the normal squamous epithelial cells. Ablation has a role in treating low and high-grade dysplasia to reduce the risk of progression to cancer. A Tom tip for you, the histology of Barrett's esophagus is a common exam topic. Remember the term metaplasia, which means a change in the type of cell. This is different from dysplasia, which refers to the presence of abnormal cells. Remember that the normal epithelium of the esophagus is squamous and in Barrett's it changes to columnar. Finally, let's talk about Zollinger-Ellison syndrome. Zollinger-Ellison syndrome is a rare condition where a duodenal or pancreatic tumour secretes excessive quantities of gastrin. Gastrin is a hormone that stimulates acid secretion in the stomach. Therefore, there is excess production of stomach acid, resulting in severe dyspepsia, diarrhea, and peptic ulcers. Gastrin-secreting tumours, or gastrinomas, may be associated with multiple endocrine neoplasia type 1, or MEN1. MEN1 is an autosomal dominant genetic condition which can also cause hormone-secreting tumours of the parathyroid and pituitary glands. So thanks for listening to this episode on gastroesophageal reflux disease. As always, a big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast. If you like these episodes, consider becoming a member of the Zero to Finals Patreon page And this will give you early access to the podcast episodes, early access to the YouTube videos, as well as access to the Zero to Finals members area, which has digital flashcards, MCQs, EMQs, short answer questions, and various other things. And I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll talk about peptic ulcers.